enjoyed worshiping with you today. Um, enjoyed uh, the songs that were specifically chosen for uh, for the message, but also for all the other just stuff that's going on around us. Um, it is beautiful to hear all of those different parts singing um, the greatest commands, is it not? That is just one of my favorite songs to hear, uh, just unaccompanied, just voices. It's just absolutely beautiful. Uh, and then, you know, as I was standing down front, uh, getting ready to, to come up here and experience a dead battery, um, to hear, just to hear you singing out, um, God of this city. I, I, I love that song. I hope you've come to love that song. Uh, I hope you're not sick of that song. Um, because I want that song to be a theme of our life, as it, I'm trying to let it be one for, for my life. Now, that being said, this is going to be the next to last week of our series called God of This City. Uh, next week, we will uh, land the plane on this series. And then in two weeks, we will have our fun in the Sunday, and so we'll do a one-off. And so I want to just remind you or tell you about Fun in the Sunday if you've never been. Um, you know, uh, with, it's, a, it's a water day, okay? And it's okay, you have permission to wear your flip-flops to church, okay? You can wear those. Uh, you know, be modest in your dress, you know. I know you guys like, I know the bikinis are in style, guys. Just, we don't want to see that, so avoid that. But, uh, you know, and we'll have a, we'll have a really great day uh, as we talk about faith that day, and then we'll go out and we'll just spend time together. Uh, hopefully it'll still be hot, uh, probably in pretty good shape with that one. We'll have water rides. Invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite the kids that they know. It's going to be a, a really, really good day. And then we're going to uh, revisit some things that we have talked about before that I like to do about every three years, and it is to talk about why we do the things we do as a church, to talk about why we worship, to talk about why we commune together, to talk about why we baptize, to talk about why we give our money to a church. Because I think it's good for us to oftentimes kind of hit the, uh, the reset button and go back and just kind of have refreshers, don't you? Now then, the ultimate reason and the answer we do all of those things, and this is the name of the series, the reason we do all of those things is because of the cross and the empty tomb. Okay, And so that's what it is going to be rooted in. It's going to be rooted in what Jesus has done for us. And those things are our response from that, or response to Jesus. Maybe I don't have to go through the whole series. I just gave it to you right there. But that's what we're going to be talking about. That's what we're going to be talking about uh, as September rolls around. Can you believe we're talking about September already? No, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how fast the years go. You know, they always tell you when you're a kid that the years, they go by really fast and you never believe it. Then you become an adult and you're like, whoa, they weren't lying. They're going at light speed. They're going, I mean, they're just flying. And so, yes, we're in December. I mean, we are headed toward the fourth quarter of this year already and it is just blazing by us but i think that we've we've had a good year in in some of the things that we have been talking about i feel like we have 
uh, we've really we've we've been in Scripture. We have uh, challenged ourselves to be people of the Word. We have talked about what it means to be real and authentic in our faith. We have gone through some turbulent times as a family, and we've talked about what it means to rise up out of the ashes. And now we're progressing as we're thinking outwardly and we're thinking missionally about what it means to believe and act upon that the fact that God is the God of this city and that we do believe that greater things are yet to come, that greater things are still to be done in this city. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in on that. Do you? I want to be in on that. And I see some of those things beginning to happen. Okay, Wednesday night, and I'm, I'm off script right now. Sorry. Uh, Wednesday night was a great, just one of the great uh, examples of that. Now then, we didn't go outside the walls. That was one of the rare occasions where people came inside the walls. Now then, that's an unusual thing. You know that. I know that. But for the last seven or eight years, we have been asked by Thomas University's soccer teams to host them and to, to feed them. And I'm not going to lie, we're the best at it. Right? Yes. I mean, come on. Yes. Yes. All glory to God. He has gifted us with that gift of great hospitality to those teams. But the point that I want to make is, is that that's one way where we see God in the city. You know, we get to see all of those different players. And, you know, a lot of those players are international students. Some of those players are international students that are away from home for the very first time. Okay? You remember what that was like when you were an international student away from home for the first time? Me neither. Okay? Only Glennis does. Okay? She's the only one that can speak into that. The rest of us, you know, we kind of, we, we're here. But, you know, for that night, we have an opportunity. And it's really, it's a, you know, it's more than just feeding. You know, it is having connection and, and touch with those students. And what I hear over and over again is that one of the reasons why they love Cornerstone so much is, yeah, the food is awesome. The food's great, but it's because you are here. And you talk to them, and you show them that you love them, and you show that you care for them. And that means a whole lot to them. To know that there are people in their community that really don't know who they are, but still love them and are, and are behind them. And so that's just one of the ways. But there are a lot of other ways that, that we're seeing that work go into our city and, and showing us that greater things are still to come. You know, uh, Wednesday night, just believing that greater things are yet to come. I think we saw that happen Wednesday because I feel that Wednesday night was the best of those dinners we've put on so far with maybe the smallest group so far. Okay? You know what else I saw? I saw some of you there that have never been to one of those dinners before. And I saw your faces and I saw the joy as you interacted with those students and you sort of caught the vision of what that was like. Okay? I've seen more and more of you at Providence Plaza. I've seen more and more of you at Vashti that maybe have never attended any of those events before, but you're beginning to see that God works through us in the city 
Okay, and that's how we are God's people doing God things in God's city. Okay, and so that's what, you know, I, I'm excited about those things. And I want you to be excited about them. And I want you to continue doing all of those things. Sermon number two. Yeah, Luke chapter 10. Uh, I've made no secret about the fact that when I was a kid, I did not like school. And I was always trying to get out of school. Teachers loved me. Always looking for an angle to go home. It's pretty good at it, too. One day in fourth grade, and I remember this day vividly, I was sitting at my desk, and I don't know what I was doing. I was not doing schoolwork. I was concocting some scheme to get out of school, I guess. I don't know if I had my hand like this or like this, but I felt something in my neck, and it was a lump there on the left side of my neck. And I thought, hey, maybe this will get me out of school. So I went, and I told my teacher about it. And she said, yeah, you need to probably go to the office. Call your mom. So I went there, and I told him in the office why I was there, and I don't know that I actually made the phone call. I think it was probably the, uh, the, the lady who worked in the office. She called my mom, and within just a few minutes, you know, uh, things were going to plan the way that I wanted them to. My mom was at the school. It was early in the day. It was really nice fall day. It was looking good, okay? I was going to be out of school for the rest of the day. Within an hour, I had found, I had been told by a surgeon that I was going to have to have surgery. It derailed bad for me. It went really bad for me. Okay, and I remember just crying in the surgeon's office as he says, Hey, look, we're not sure what this is. We need to get it out. We need to, you know, do biopsies and all that and just make sure that it's not anything that's that's harmful to you. And so the day came and I had the surgery. And the day went and, uh, you know, back in those days you stayed in the hospital for a while. You know, it wasn't like now where, uh, you know, they're, they're pulling tubes out of you while they're shutting you in the car. You know, you, you actually had to stay for a few days. You know, hey, give us that back, you know. Uh, I, so I had to stay in the hospital for a couple of days, and then I had to go home and recover for a week. Now, then, this is not the staying out of school that I had in mind, okay? You know, I overplayed my hand on that one. So after missing a few days of school, I don't know if I went back to school or if these were sent to me, but I got a lot of uh, homemade cards from my classmates, well, probably schoolmates. You know, construction paper, different colors, all of these things. And I'm going through them and I'm reading them. Uh, and I don't remember any of those cards except for one. It was from a girl named Robin. And it was like a sunset that had a smiley face on it. And there were two palm trees sticking up on either side of the, the setting sun. Okay, that's the only one of those cards I remember. Now then, there's a reason why I remember that card specifically. Because Robin was poor. She was, you know, her clothes were always dirty. Um, she didn't have very nice clothes. They were always threadbare, that kind of thing. And it was about fourth grade where prejudices maybe started kicking in for me a little bit. And I started to avoid her. 
I started to judge her. I didn't want to be around her. I guess deep down it was a fear that if I got close to her, whatever it was that I perceived to be wrong with her would, would rub off on me. And so in my fourth grade mind, Robin was untouchable. Didn't want to get near her. Didn't want to be in the same room with her. You know? And so that's what I want to talk about for the next few minutes. We're going to circle back around to the text where we were last week in Luke chapter 10 as we talk about the Good Samaritan and as we talk about neighbors. But as we do that, I want us to consider this question right here. I want you to consider this. I want you to ask yourself this. Who are the untouchables in your life? Are there people in your life that are untouchable? Now, I hope there are not. I hope that, you know, you're, you're able to love everybody completely and equally. But if you're like me, you know that that probably is a struggle sometimes. Right? So get me off the hook here. Tell me I'm not the only one. Right? It is tough to love all people. Right? If I lived by myself, I'd do a really good job at loving people. Okay, if I was like a hermit, I could love everybody, but I'm not, okay? And so sometimes it's tough, and I think that's tough for a lot of people. So the question is, who or are there people in your life that are untouchable for whatever reason? You know, who are the people that, that we are most afraid of? Is it refugees? You know, is it, is it a, a, another race of people? Is it homosexuals? Is it people who are poor? Is it you know, people who are, are, are dirty or diseased or, or, or homeless? See, because in the eyes of many, those people are considered untouchable, right? And so the question that we want to wrestle with is how do, how do we love them? How do we extend the love of God to people that our community, our society considers to be untouchable? How do we love the Robins? Or how do we love the fill in the blank with whoever you might have thought of? Because if we are going to be God's people doing God things, in God's cities, loving people regardless of where they come from or what they smell like or look like or act like or do, that's a pretty big deal. Now fortunately, Jesus has some great stuff to say about this. You know, and that's always a good thing, right? All right? As, as Don McLaughlin reminded us a few months ago, we have to get it in our mind that Jesus is always right. You know, and if we can start there, that Jesus is always right, that's a tremendous help for us. And Jesus has some things to say about this. But not only, and, and we'll see this, not only did Jesus have something to say about these untouchable people, He also shows us how to, to deal with them. So, you have this story that unfolds, in, in Luke 10, 
where an expert in the law, you know, a, a scribe, that's what he's called, but he's somebody who knew the law, the, the Old Testament, knew it really well. These were the guys who fixed it when guys like me messed it up. Okay? They're the, one, they're the scholars. They're the ones that say, uh, wait a minute, preacher, that's not what that means. And they'd come in and they'd, you know, they'd explain the law more clearly. So you have one of these guys who comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now then, that's a good question, right? Do we not want to inherit eternal life? Right? I mean, we want it. I want eternal life and I want a good eternal life, don't you? So this is a good question. Should make us, you know, sit up and, and, and pay attention. And so he asks Jesus this, and of course, Jesus always annoyingly returns a question with a question. Have you ever noticed that? Don't you love when people do that to you? They answer your question with another question? I'm not smart enough to do that, but I want to be. Well, that's what Jesus does. He says, Hey, what does the law say? Well, of course, he's a scribe, and he's going to know, and that's what he says in verse 27. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commands. That's Luke's version of this. Okay. Now, then, we could stop right here, and we could spend the rest of the day just talking and unpacking those verses. Okay, especially in light of what's going on in Virginia right now. Okay, we could talk about what that means. Okay, to love people, to love God. Okay, to love God and then love all people. To love all people means to love all the image bearers of God. And if we don't love the image bearers of God, if we don't love God's people, we don't love God. You know, we just sang those words a few minutes ago. He who does not love doesn't know God. For God is, say it with me, God is love. Okay, so we could get to riffing on this stuff really easy. And I want us to not move past these too quickly. As a matter of fact, in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus adds on to, to this, this greatest command that all of the law and the prophets hang on this. Now that we think, well, what is that talking about? What's the law and the prophets? Well, it's, you know, it's this stuff. It's the, the Old Testament that we don't spend a lot of time in. Okay? It's the Bible that Jesus and his people had. The Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament. Okay? But what he is saying is everything that you do hinges on this. Okay? The way you love God and the way you love people. Everything else is filtered through those two commands. Love God, love people. Okay? So that's what he's talking about. So you see the, the weight of this statement. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What does the law say? Love God with everything you've got and love people the same way. Okay. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, okay, you're right. Do this and you will live. But it says then, the man wanting to justify himself, or maybe feel better about himself, or whatever, says, uh, uh, asks another question to Jesus. Who is my neighbor? And that's the verse that we focused on last week. Okay, That was the entire thrust of what we talked about last week. Who is my neighbor? 
Okay, as we talked about neighboring and, and, and all of those different things. Jesus is going to answer this question by telling a story, this parable. And so he begins in verse 30. Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at that place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Okay, so there's the question. Who is my neighbor? Jesus says, okay, let me tell you who your neighbor is. Let me paint a picture for you. You have this guy. He's traveling. He has jumped. He's beaten up. All his stuff is stolen from him. He's stripped naked. And he's thrown in the ditch, left to die. Then you have a priest come by. What does the priest do? Sees him. Moves to the other side, keeps going. Then you have a Levite come by. Okay, of the priestly tribe. Come by, sees the guy, moves over, goes around him, keeps going. Now then, we wonder about that. They see this guy who is one of their own people, one of their own countrymen. He's lying on the road. He's bleeding. He's naked. He's possibly dying. They see him, and yet they still walk by him. The question is, is why? Now then, these are going to be religious guys, right? What's the first guy? We don't even know his name, but what is he? What's his occupation? He's a priest. Okay? But he moves by him. The second guy is a Levite, which is the tribe that the priests come from. Okay? He's kind of priestly too. And yet he sees the guy and he leaves. He moves on by him. They are religious guys. Now then, it is possible that they saw this guy and felt compassion for him. Okay? That is very possible. I don't want to jump and say they're just heartless and don't care. Or they're just too busy. But it is very likely that they saw this guy laying there on the side of the road and were moved to compassion with him. But the problem is they did not demonstrate that compassion. Right? Now then, that's an important lesson for us. Because a lot of times we see people that are in need. We might be moved with compassion for them. But a lot of times that's where we stay, right? So this is an important lesson, okay? These guys, maybe they are moved. Maybe they see the guy and they really genuinely feel sorry for him, but that's kind of where they stayed. They didn't move to what the, the next logical step was. Instead, they kind of just left him there laying, laying in the road. You know, maybe it's, you know, because they're religious, because their work requires certain things of them, they couldn't touch him, okay? Because if they were to touch this guy who is bleeding and is dirty, maybe it makes him ceremonially unclean. 
if they're unclean, then they're not fit for temple service until they go through all the rituals and the washings and, and, and all of these things. So maybe, you know, maybe that's the reason why they passed this guy by. We don't know why, but what we do know is that for them, this guy was what? He's untouchable. They are not willing to, to get near him. Now then, watch verse 33. Jesus continues the story. And he says, But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. Again, those guys might have had compassion. A lot of us, when we see people, see people in need, we have compassion. But they stopped there. He does not. He had compassion. He went over to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. Now then, Jesus is asking the questions again. He's asking the, the, the scribe, who do you think is the neighbor? And the scribe says, the one who showed mercy to him. Jesus says, go and, go and, and do the same. Okay. So you have the, the first two, and for whatever reason, they are afraid to get involved, or they choose not to get involved. Okay, maybe there's a lot of risk in it in what they have to do in their jobs. And they choose not to do it. They choose not to get involved. But then you have this Samaritan who comes along. Now then, keep in mind, a Samaritan is considered to be a different race entirely by the Jews. Okay, or a half-breed at best. Okay. Because they had married outside of the Jews. Okay, they had intermarried, creating a new race. And so those Jews who were purists said, you are not Jews. I think Jesus is, is, is maybe doing this for a little shock value. He's doing it also to, to make a point. Okay? You have this guy who is hated, who is looked down, who is also considered untouchable by the Jews, yet it is this guy who is the one who is willing to extend compassion. He not only feels compassionate, he's moved to act out of that compassion. He's willing to take the risk. He's willing to, to get involved. There's a guy named uh, Bruce Peterson, and he says this. He says, getting involved in someone else's life is risky business. Amen? People helpers take the risk of being rejected, misunderstood, and exploited in their attempts to help someone in need. Can you agree with that? Now then, I know because you're good people and I've seen you in action that you understand exactly what he's talking about because you've experienced that. Okay, You know what it is like to try to, to help someone that is genuinely in need and that be completely misunderstood, it be unwanted and rejected, or you've been taken advantage of, okay? You understand what that is, okay? I, I mentioned last week that I handle about 95% of the benevolence calls that we get. I've experienced every one of those, 
okay? Every one of those. And every time, you know, it, it's not a good feeling, okay? But that's part of the risk involved, right? He goes on. He says, those who reach out to help care are often torn by competing demands. Which person to help and which to ignore? Do you know that tension as well? I live in that tension all the time. Okay? Who do we help? Who are the ones that genuinely need help? Who are the ones that are just trying to get something? Okay? And so there goes this vetting process. And then there's the cases where one person calls and has a genuine need, and then another person calls and has an equally genuine need. And you're trying to, to figure it out. Okay? He continues. He says, It seems that there are always more needy people than there are resources to respond to the needs. Does that make sense? It's true. Sometimes, sometimes in a season of windfall, we have been able to help people financially. Okay? We've been able to meet some of those needs financially. Okay? But more often than not, I've had to say sorry. The, the number one question that I get when I get these calls is, do you help with light bills? Okay? And it's, you know, it's usually, they've been extended, they're almost out of that grace period, and they've been trying to just piece the money together, and so now they're, they're calling churches, and that's the question. Do you, do you help pay light bills? Now then, that question is going to become more frequent as it gets colder. Because as it gets colder, that becomes more and more of a problem. And so those calls always go up during the colder months. And so sometimes we've been able to do that. But most often than not, I have to say, you know, I'm sorry. We're just, we're not set up. We're not set up to do that. Because there are more people in need than what we have as far as resources go, okay? And that's, that's true of probably most churches. Now, then, one of the things that I've been trying to do, and I would encourage you to do this too, I would encourage you to try to figure out and be aware of what services and programs there are in our community, okay? Be aware of those things. So I, I've met with a lady who is, I guess she's the director of the Thomas County Neighborhood Services Center, and they provide, they are set up, they are funded to be able to help with some of those things. They have some of these programs, okay? Uh, getting in touch with the, uh, the resource center that's over here on Vernando, okay? Uh, getting in touch, you know, Terry and I were talking about knowing what the Salvation Army has to offer. Getting in touch with boys and girls clubs and things like that. You know, we need to be aware of the things that are around us because maybe we're not set up to help but I don't think we can be content with, sorry, can't do anything for you. We at least need to say, we can't help in this way. Here's who can help. Maybe we can help in another way. Maybe you need somebody to talk to. Maybe you need some counsel. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. You know, we are set up to do those kinds of things, okay? And so it's just trying to figure out, you know, how I talked about partnering last week. That's what that is. It's partnering, trying to, to figure out what is available in our community to help connect people in need and so i'd encourage you there's your homework assignment go figure out what's available in our community you're aware of things that i'm not aware of 
okay? And then we need to share that information so we kind of know what's going on. Now then, he continues this thought. He says, but rather than doing nothing because the needs are too great, people, helper, people helpers are willing to jump in and do something for someone, right? But it always involves taking a risk, okay? Serving people is risky because who's involved? People, right? People are involved, and people are messy, right? You know this because you are a people, and you know that you've got messes in your own life, just as I have messes in my own life. But we, sometimes we have to be willing to take a risk. Now then, I think it was Mother Teresa that said this, and I will not get it exactly right. You know, there's all kinds of people that we see that need help. And a lot of times we want to help all of them, right? You ever feel that, like you just want to help everybody? But you know that you cannot help everybody. Mother Teresa's line was, if you can't help everyone, do for one what you wish you could do for all. Does that make sense? Now then, be, you've you got to be careful about that. Okay, and I talked about some of those things last week, and I'll be probably talking about some more of those things in the future. But we have to be willing to take a risk. The Samaritan took a risk. Okay, he showed mercy. So the questions that I posed at the opening on how do we love the untouchables is found in exactly what Jesus told this expert. Okay, his question was, who are my neighbors? Okay, Jesus tells the story. Jesus follows that up and says, which one was the neighbor? The guy said, the one who showed mercy. And what was Jesus' response to him? Go and do the same. And that's our answer to the question of how we are to love those that are untouchable. We must go and do the same. Now then, there are a lot of people who, they're just all talk. And you know people like this. Maybe you've been one of those people. I've been one of those people. But there are a lot of people that it's all talk. You look at their lives and you realize, man, it's uh, do what I say, not what I do. Okay, but Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus could make this statement, go and, and do the same, because Jesus has already done this. He has already demonstrated what it means to be merciful. A few chapters earlier, and you don't have to turn there, but in Luke, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is out and this leper comes to him. He had, uh, you know, he's got this skin disease and he comes to Jesus. He falls face down and begs him. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's Luke 5, 12. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing be made clean, and immediately the disease, the disease left him. Now then, Jesus encounters this guy, this, this leper who approaches him. Now then, that's illegal. If you are a leper, you are not supposed to get near people. Okay, it's like if you have a cold, if you're really sick, don't bring it to church. Yeah, who said that? 
Yes. If you're really sick, yes, I agree with that. If you're really sick, don't bring that and share the, share the love, okay? We don't want that. Keep it. Come when you're well. But this is worse because leprosy was a contagious thing. It would cause your limbs to rot off your body. Okay? So it was, you know, slowly eating your body. He knows he's not supposed to be, but he takes a risk and he goes to Jesus. He falls down. He begs him for mercy because he knows this is probably his only chance and he doesn't want to miss the opportunity for the cleansing he so desperately desires. This guy to his community is definitely 100%, say it with me, untouchable. He's so untouchable that when somebody gets near him, he has to yell out the dignity-robbing phrase, unclean. Don't get near me. I am untouchable. If you touch me, you're going to get this, and you are going to suffer this, this same fate. But he takes a risk. He goes to Jesus, and he receives more than he expected. What he wanted was healing. But you notice what the first thing Jesus did was? Look at him. He touched him. Jesus touches the leper. Then he heals him. It's a powerful demonstration of the grace and the compassion of Jesus. It's likely that this man hadn't had human contact maybe in years. To go without human touch can wreak much pain and, and psychological suffering on a person. Jesus knew what this man needed was not only to be healed, but to be touched as well. Jesus touched the untouchable. And so that brings us to our, our city connection for the day. Keeping in mind this, this story of who is my neighbor. Keeping in mind this command to go and do the same, which means be merciful. Keeping in mind that Jesus touched the untouchable. Our city connection is this, this week. Be merciful and touch people like Jesus. Now you can interpret that in one of two ways. You can read it as be merciful and touch people like Jesus did. He touched the broken. He touched the untouchables. He touched the undesirables and the outcasts. But he also touched the, the affluent and the accepted. He touched them too. And you can interpret it that way. And I think that's an important way to interpret it. And that's, the, that's the first way. But you might be filtering it a different way. Be merciful and go touch people like Jesus. Like the righteous, like the clean, like the people that are like me, that don't have any problems. And now then, if that's you, if that's the way you've interpreted that, let me, let me caution you. Because while it is good to be around people that are good and righteous and whole and all those things, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25. He said, I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was hungry and you gave me food. And they said, when, Lord, when did we see you naked or in prison? When did we see you without? 
the basic needs of life. And Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you did that to me. So if you're tempted to say, I'll be merciful and I'll touch people who are like Jesus and good and great, filter it through a little more. Because realize, when Jesus says the least of these, he's talking about untouchable people. And when you did that to them, you did that to me. Okay, so there's our, that's our city connection. That we are to be merciful and touch people like Jesus. So again, we ask the question, you know, who are we afraid of? Is it refugees? Love them. Jesus said, love all people, right? Not just the legal ones, right? Come on, let's say it. Love all people, not just the legal ones. Love all people. Homosexuals, love them. People of another ethnic group, love them. All of these things that require mercy, right? Now, mercy requires three things. Three things will be done. Now, then I've, I've, we've, we've talked about these before, but they're important to, to remind ourselves of. The first is this. Mercy requires eyes that see. Now then, the first two guys in the parable, they had the eyes to see, otherwise they wouldn't have gone around the guy, right? Okay, so that's the first thing. We have to have eyes to see people, to see the, the broken, to see the untouchable people. Now, we've talked about what it means to be filled with compassion, and if that's the case, that means we are seeing, but we cannot just stay there. We have to have the second thing, and that is a compassionate heart, Okay? A compassionate heart. We feel for these people. We feel the burden. We feel maybe what they are are feeling. And it's, you know, that's, you know, it's one thing to see. It's one thing to be compassionate and feeling for these people. But then, you know, that's maybe, maybe that's what those first two guys did. But, you know, the Samaritan, he's kind of the star of the show of that, of that story. And it's this third thing right here. We have to have hands that act. Just like the good Samaritan did. Okay. He had hands that act. Yeah, he was filled with compassion, and a lot of people leave it right there, but his compassion moved him to action. Make sense? Okay. What did he do? He went and bandaged him up. What did it say? He poured on oil. You know, he, uh, he's disinfecting. Put him on his own animal. Took him to a hotel. Put him up. Took care of him. Told the innkeeper, whatever else it costs. When I come back to town, I'll take care of him. Jesus says, go and do the same. This is what we have to do. We have to have eyes that see people. Now then, our eyes can play tricks on us, can they not? Our eyes can see people how, in ways that are good or not good. My eyes, in fourth grade, were playing tricks on me with Robin. My eyes have played tricks on me since then. But if I have the eyes of Jesus, then I see things differently. And you know what that's like, right? You know what it's like when you're judgmental and you see something and you're like, oh man, why can't this person do this or that? Or why are they like, you know? But you also equally have probably experienced what it's like when you're, you've got the eyes of Christ and you see something like, man, 
hate that that's going on, that this has happened to you again, that this is whatever. And it moves, it builds compassion in you. But we can't just stay at compassion. We have to have hands that, that act. Of course, this, you know, that's, that's painting with a broad brush. And so you have to filter that through whatever context it is for you. But this is what mercy requires, and we are to go and do these things, to go and be merciful. We are to be merciful. We are to touch people just like Jesus did or touch people just like Jesus. Let's pray together.